Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Week in Markets. I am Richard Tang, the China strategist and the head of research Hong Kong for Bank Julius Baer. Last week was an eventful week with both the Bank of Japan and the U.S. Fed having their policy meetings. So in this weekly podcast, we're going to review both central bank meetings and discuss what are the implications to our asset allocation. First on Japan, last Tuesday, the Bank of Japan made further adjustments to the yield curve control to change originally the 1% yield cap to now that 1% becoming a reference level and also drop the reference to daily bond purchases. What does that mean? In layman terms, it means that the Bank of Japan no longer sees this 1% as a hard ceiling and will allow the use of the Japanese government bonds to go above that level. Now, this is still not an official removal of the yield curve control. It basically is giving the yield curve control a little bit more flexibility, which is pretty much what the market has been expecting before the policy meeting. But having said that, we do not think that Bank of Japan will keep or can keep the yield curve control a lot longer because the inflation pressure is indeed rising in Japan. Now, in fact, the Bank of Japan has raised its own forecast for inflation, which could pave the way for an eventual exit of the yield curve control policy. And we think a likely timing will actually be first quarter next year. Also, for the same reason, we think that the central bank in Japan may exit its negative interest rate policy by the middle of next year. And what does that mean for investors? We think that there may be pressure for market interest rates to go up, which will further support our positive stance on the Japanese banks because these banks will likely earn more net interest and improve their earnings. Also, while the Western world all sees inflation as a bad thing, this is the opposite in Japan. This is a country that has gone through multiple years of low inflation and disinflation. So that macro environment actually took away the pricing power of Japanese companies for a long time. Now that we have a 4% inflation in Japan, workers are seeing wage rising. Companies are able to raise prices of their goods and services. So we are positive that the profit margin may actually expand in Japan. And the improving fundamentals is one of the main reasons why we upgraded Japan to overweight recently. And should we be nervous about a Japanese yen appreciation? Partly given how cheap the Japanese yen is right now, and we do agree that the currency may rebound from the very, very low levels in the next few months. Now, traditional wisdom always says that it may be bad for exporters when the currency appreciates, but our view is that a lot of these Japanese companies have strong track record of innovation and also experience in addressing new markets, which may actually help these companies to overcome the situation if Japanese yen indeed gets stronger from here. And then the other implication of the moves in Japanese bond use is its impact on the global bond market, including the U.S. Treasury. Now, if we look at how the U.S. Treasury yields have changed year to date, the rise in yields were largely concentrated in the short end in the first half. And then in the second half, it was mostly the long end yields that were rising. Now, the drivers are still largely U.S. driven, including the supply and also the higher for longer policy rate outlook. But the surge in Japanese yields also had an impact because fund managers, when they allocate between government bonds, they generally global focus. 
in any case, I think most market participants will agree that the Fed meeting was a relief to the market. True, Chair Powell still emphasized data dependence and did not confirm the end of the rate high cycle, but the Fed acknowledged that the recent rise in long-dated Treasury yields have actually done some work of interest rate hikes already, and this acknowledgement is welcomed by the market. From 5% just weeks ago, the 10-year Treasury yields quickly dropped to below 4.6 recently. This is partly triggered by this slightly more dovish FOMC outcome and also a smaller potential supply estimated by the Treasury. This bond market rally has happened so fast that if there is one lesson we can learn from it, it is that one can never wait to confirm the momentum has turned around before getting into the market. So once again, the Treasury bond market in the past few days proved to us that timing the market is really, really difficult, if at all possible. Anyway, explaining the equity market moves over the past few days in the U.S. is straightforward. It's simply lower rates driving the equity market higher, especially with the longer-term duration assets. We still hold the view that quality growth stocks will outperform in the long term, and the past few months of correction is definitely a great chance to add positions. As a bank, we have been saying that the correction is coming to an end. In fact, the correction may have already ended just looking at the price action over the past few days. And we remain confident that the U.S. stock market will see a year-end rally. Now, this U.S. reporting season also seems to be doing fine. Almost 80% of the SPX companies beat estimates, and the earnings aggregate surprise is 7% to the upside. However, the market reaction to earnings so far have not been as positive as one might have hoped. In fact, our analysis shows that the beats were rewarded less than before, but misses actually got punished more. And that might be because the company guidance was not as great. One thing that is still true, though, is that the earnings growth in third quarter may turn positive year on year after four quarters of decline. And this earnings inflection will support the broader U.S. market in the coming months, in our view. By now, the large tech companies in the U.S. and other developed markets have reported. We find a few interesting themes that these companies share. First, it looks like the semiconductor sector is still going down cycle, but the memory industry has started to improve. Second, some companies commented that weakness in the auto industry is becoming more evident, especially in Europe. But I think so far, we don't have enough data points to prove or disprove this thesis. Third, and most interestingly, Quite a few companies were suggesting that the PC and the smartphone cycles may be bottoming out, finally, and that has implications to the smartphone supply chain stocks in China. Our sense is that this is more likely a restocking cycle because end demand could still take a little bit more time to recover. But given how cheap these stocks have been, we are hopeful that the China smartphone supply chain sector may finally stage a year-end rally. And that's all I have to say today. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next podcast. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.